Hey, listeners, ever have trouble getting someone on the phone when you have a question about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person any time, day, or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The best part of spring cleaning is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless and then Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data, unlimited talk and text, delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone and any Mint Mobile plan and bring your own phone number along with your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. My team here, they're on Mint Mobile, and they like it. For a fraction of the cost, Mint Mobile proved to have excellent coverage with no drop calls or unsent texts. Plus, they make it super easy for me to activate my device just by following a few simple steps online. And bam, done. To get this new customer offer and the new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash literally. That's mintmobile.com slash literally. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash literally. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speeds slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Oh, Rob, how exciting. I'm super psyched to talk to you. You know, we would come up with some great story, and now we'll, it'll happen spontaneously. Yeah, we, you can't waste the gold. Hello, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here with me on Literally. Today's a really fun one. The great Nathan Lane, his career in movies and particularly um, on The Great White Way, Broadway, is spectacular. He's worked with everybody. He's been in everything from The Lion King to Birdcage to People versus O.J. Simpson to, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And, and one of the, and the producers, Probably the single greatest living musical theater uh, person that we have, for sure. And he's hilarious. So let's get started with Nathan Lane. Jilly, you can't waste the gold or the pastrami. Uh, that was the worst Sinatra impersonation anyone's ever done. Could have been anybody. It could have been, <laughs> could have been B. Arthur. It could have been Broderick Crawford, but... Yeah, I get it. I, I like it because it really was Broderick. And I love that your references are equally as, as dated as mine. My This this podcast is nothing if not for people with extremely dated. I like to think of it more as for an adult crowd as opposed Thank you. to, you know, just, you know, pandering to the to the kids. Oh, my God. Of course. 
very briefly, I worked uh, on a Gary Marshall film, Frankie and Johnny, and your lovely, adorable, charismatic wife was the makeup artist. That's right. For Al, and, and, and then she would occasionally, you know, she'd have to do me. That is so great. Oh, my God. She's going to be so excited. Uh, she would tell me, you know, there's no closer relationship <laughs> except for a therapist than your, your makeup person who, you know, right. you share things. It's early in the morning. You're tired. You haven't had enough coffee. And, and you tend to, you know, share a lot of things. So, and she told me she was uh, d- dating you. This was in like 1990. We were making this film. That's right. And uh, and you, so you know, and I think I, I think I believed her. I think I encouraged her. <laughs> I said, well, that well, you could do. You certainly could do worse than Rob Lowe. That sounds pretty good <laughs> to me. And uh, and then you came by one day. You, we just sort of had a brief exchange outside of the makeup trailer. Oh my God! And I believe I said you should marry him. Well, then thank you. Um. We're, we're still together. That's what a, an extraordinary accomplishment. Congratulations. I know. It's like married 30 plus years in show business is like 300 years in regular life. No, no. It's amazing. And and she has now, she has her own uh, a jewelry business. That's right. She does uh, Cheryl Lowe Designs. And then the men's stuff, which I'm wearing here, Mr. Lowe, named after me. But yeah, she was, when she was Al Pacino's makeup artist, this like, that's how I got to know Al. And of course, I'm sure you did. And what an amazing, like a true eccentric genius. Oh, well, yes, certainly one of one of the greats. I can't say I really got to know him well, but he, you know, I, I, I you know, he was certainly someone I, I looked up to and, and had tremendous respect for. And he was um, I think he had a good time. You know, because he was, he had worked with Michelle, uh, I guess, on Scarface. Oh, that's right. We keep, I keep, of course. And Gary, he was Gary Marshall, who was such a sweetheart and, and created such a great atmosphere. So I, all, what I do remember is that Al would, uh, <laughs> he would, before every take, he would jump down and start doing push ups, kind of get the blood going and, and I don't know, shake, shake out whatever whatever else was going on inside his head and, and that but he would he would sort of run around and then and get down to push-ups and a bit of calisthenics yeah i can see that i can see the calisthenics i can't imagine the push-ups but push-ups yeah and then but i'd be too tired to do the take but oh he would always kind of do that to gear up oh that always sounds like a good idea i remember on the west wing the very first like First episode, I was so excited to be on it, and Brad Whitford was sort of my contemporary on it. And we were like, "We're going to do push-ups." This is back when they were this when they were putting film in the camera. We actually had film, so every time they changed a mag, he and I had a challenge that we were going to do push-ups. I think it lasted for one half day of shooting. Yeah, you just can't do that. You know, well, and there were, were there weren't a lot of shirtless scenes in the West Wing. No, no walking and talking in a locker room. It was it was always the Oval Office. <laughs> I need to, to know about Mike Nichols. Sure. You obviously work with him on Birdcage and probably on other things. Did you work with him in the theater? Sadly, no. I, I always, I wished we had. Obviously, this legendary uh, uh, director and, and performer. Hit, hit, hit people with some of the credits. First, he became famous as part of the comedy team of Nichols and May when they, right. they sort of changed the face of comedy. That's right. No one had really done what they were doing. And it was so right. smart and, 
and sophisticated and funny and 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 human and and so they you know they kind of came from the Compass Theater in Chicago, which was the basis for Second City, and then um, they became such a huge success. They they made many television appearances and then had a Broadway show, uh, An Evening with Nichols and May, that was a tremendous success. And then of course they eventually went their separate ways because um, Elaine. Another genius, Elaine May, who um, she was tired of doing the same thing over and over. She didn't like that. She liked the the improvisational style, and and so she didn't want to keep doing the same e- evening of skits, uh, uh, you know, for a long time. And they eventually, so they went their separate ways. And he was slowly but surely figuring out that he actually wanted to become a director. So initially, his huge success was in the theater. Directing the plays of Neil Simon, Barefoot in the Park, uh, The Odd Couple, and and that and, and many other plays, and and he winning Tony after Tony, and then his first first film was Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf with Burton and and Elizabeth Taylor, and and then the the Graduate. He went on to do many other films. Well, yes, The Birdcage, The Birdcage with you and Robin Williams, a genius, massive, massive. Accomplished. It was a it was a big hit for him, and, and at that point in his life, he he hadn't had a, a hit in a while. So it was a very it was a very happy experience. Look, you know, just the notion that he uh, yeah, originally it was supposed to be Steve Martin and Robin Williams, and mm-hmm. and Robin Williams was supposed to play the part that I wound up playing, and then Steve couldn't get out of another commitment, and and then Robin decided he had already been an address in Mrs. Doubtfire. And so that role opened up. And then somehow I, Mike Nichols thought uh, I might be a good fit. How, how, how did that happen? Did, what was that process like? I'm always fascinated how other, other folks get roles. You know, in medium, it was like meeting God. Yes. I was going to ask you, is he, was he as charming and hilarious and, and dry and cutting as I hear? Yes. When you had a dinner with Mike, it was, you, want, you would want to read up on current events, on anything, because he could talk on any subject intelligently and, and with, yes, tremendous wit. And, and uh, he was, um, so that was intimidating. But he made you that thing that all, all the greats have, which is he had the ability to make you feel like the most important person in his life. Mm-hmm. He, that was part of his, also his style of directing was, it was like entering a love affair. He loved you. He loved mm-hmm. the actors and, and was incredibly supportive and caring and sensitive and, and yes, wildly funny. And then he kind of directed by anecdote. Oh, wow. You know, there might be a general uh, thesis about what the themes of the piece were, and what we should look for. But he didn't really say a lot, but he would tell stories. And somehow you started to realize the stories had something to do with the scene you were doing and and keeping it always always very grounded even though it you know it's a french farce that we were doing la cage fall but yeah. um yeah i mean it was just a very it was a joyous experience because of uh, he was having such a good time he was reuniting with elaine may on that film i mean she had helped him uh, on other screenplays but this was something they had always wanted to do, and finally they were able to get the rights and do this um, American remake of La Cage Fall. And, um, and of course, Robin 
Williams, another, you know, a, a genius and a, a saint, just the, the sweetest, kindest, most compassionate and hilarious people. I mean, so the way his mind worked, it was just astonishing. And so he was very much, Robin was always, it was part of his, the way he worked, his process, which was, he, he kept everything up. And in between takes, he would be entertaining and doing riffs on this or that, on lighting fixtures or whatever was there. He would t turn into something hilarious. And, um, uh, I, and of course, Gene Hackman, my, my favorite actor ever, who uh, was, I think he had just come off that submarine film with Denzel Washington. So he, By the way, this, that's my favorite. This might be my favorite part of the universe so far. He just came off the submarine film. Makes me laugh for some reason. That's Murderer's Row of, of icons. And, you know, two-time Oscar winner Diane Weist, who's no slouch. And she, she was delightful. And it was just such great. And, of course, Hank Azaria, who just stole the whole thing. Yes. Yeah, it was. Re it, he rehearsed it like a play for like three weeks. And then we started shooting. And, um, it, you know, it was just one of those times when, you know, the, the, the stars were aligned and the gods were looking favorably upon us and it came together do you have a sense of when the, the stars are aligning i mean nobody ever knows really right you know what's right. going to happen why why things work why they don't you know unless it's just mediocre material but it was you know it was just uh, such a happy time and that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to uh, work as a film you know sometimes the, <laughs> there's a lot of turmoil and and, and and fighting over it and it can be you know, fantastic. But this was just an extremely happy experience. I think it, it doesn't hurt that the, it's one of the great comic plots of all time. And right. every, every time it's been done, it's been successful. So it was, uh, we had that in our favor, but it was just, it was, we just had a blast and, and uh, it was a very lucky thing to be a part of, just to be asked to be a part of it. When a movie like that comes out and it's such a big deal, what is your like personal process of like, okay, now, I've done that, so I really want to go back to the theater for a while, or I'd like to follow it up with another movie, or do, or do you just go with what's available in front of you and interesting? Well, um, I can't say the you know the scripts came pouring in. Um, I, here were the options: I was asked to be in um, a, a a movie of Mr. Magoo. This is a great. One. This is amazing. And I met with the director, and he said it, it's going to be an all new Mr. Magoo. I said, well, really, what, what does that mean? And he's, I said, well, won't he, he's a little old man. We're talking about prosthetics and he's bald and he can't, he can't see. And he said, no, we're not doing any of that. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I don't know, you know, it's like, the, it's a little cartoon, you know, it's Jim Backett. Well, George, you know, there's that. Yes. It's all about him bumping into things and mistaking people, you know, and all of that. He, anyway. Uh, so he said, no, we're not doing any of that. And I, I, it just, and as much as I thought, oh, it'd be nice to make that amount of money. I, I, I said no and wound up doing a, a, a film called uh, Mouse Hunt with, uh, Gore Verbinski. It was his very uh, first film. He, this was a, a, a director who had, he was best known at the time for doing the Budweiser Frogs commercials. That's right. And then he did Pirates, I believe. Yes. Oh, very. He won an Oscar for Rango. He very. He became wildly successful. But this was his first film. Much more interesting. It was one of the first films for DreamWorks. And uh, I don't think they were happy with his take on it. You know, we would 
when we would talk about it, he he kept referencing Roman Polanski's The Tenant. <laughs> but we're making a film about two guys who trying to catch a mouse. <laughs> you know, it's like Tom and Jerry. I don't, I, uh, you know, I'll, I'll think about what Roman Polanski was doing in The Tenant. But Well, you know, it's, it's that Eastern European sense of humor. You know, it's always so frothy and warm. Well, uh, you know, he, he wanted a darkness to it. No, it was it was myself and this brilliant, brilliant uh, comedian named Lee Evans, a British comedian, a wonderful guy and great comic. And, and Christopher Walken, I had to convince them because Christopher Walken was too expensive. And I, 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 I campaigned and said, oh, you can take some of the money you're giving me. Give it to Christopher Walken. It will it will make a, a huge difference when we open the door and Christopher Walken is standing there as the exterminator. I'd say. And it had a great look. And uh, I, I guess it, it's become a bit of a, a cult film. It's always br- it's brought up to me a lot by Russian cab drivers. Are you? They say, always say, are you? Were you in the mouse, the mouse movie? Yeah, the mouse movie is the funniest movie ever made. Anyway, it, it was, uh, I, we had a great deal of fun. And he made this sort of, it was like a Coen Brothers movie for children. Well, you know, no two travelers are exactly alike, and that means no two trips should be either. Texas, vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activity allow for such an infinite number of different travel experiences. I mean, I love Texas. I go like this. The people of Dallas, the culture of Austin, and I love any time I get there. If you're a beach person, well, you can go have fun in the sun with Texas 350 miles of coastline. If you're a rugged vacation type, there's campgrounds, hiking trails, state parks, golf is nuts there, foodies, you got your Texas barbecue and live music in Austin. And of course, if you're into the cowboy scene, you can certainly find it there. And now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom trip matched to their own unique interests. So visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters, yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash get your own. You know the only thing I ever let interrupt my podcast? My dog. Take a minute now, please. Pet your dog while you learn about Bark, the company dedicated to making dogs happy. Every month, BarkBox designs and delivers a whole new collection of toys and treats just for your best bud. Every toy is tailored to your pup's size and play style. From squeaky plush toys from BarkBox to ultra-tough durable ones from Super Chewer. Every treat is made with yummy, healthy, all-natural ingredients like pumpkin and sweet potato. Each box is inspired by a new theme and comes with fun surprises for you and your dog. For a limited time, they'll double your first box of goodies for free. I love making my dogs happy. Love it. It's my favorite thing in the world. And my dogs are obsessed with their chewable toys. BarkBox offers treats to keep my dogs healthy and amazing new toys that keep my dogs entertained. To get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com slash Rob. So I came home to a little gift in my bathroom the other day from our friends at Harry's. To get what you want, You have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. 
You know who challenged the status quo? Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by questionable products in the shaving industry and decided they had something better to offer. So instead of charging the same old ridiculous prices, Harry's found a way to make their beautifully designed razors, and they are beautiful, for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. Exceptional products, honest prices. That's Harry's. They have the highest customer satisfaction in shaving history and a no-risk trial. Don't like your shave? No worries. It's on them. Convenient subscription options that you can cancel at any time. And Harry's also has other self-care products that meet the same quality standards as their razors. Richly lathering, skin-softening body wash and scents like Redwood, Wildland, and Stone. And an extra high-quality, amazing-smelling deodorant for just five bucks. I love their stuff. I'm so impressed by Harry's products. All of it. It's all good. Don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash Rob. That's harrys.com slash Rob for a $3 trial set. Have you ever st- stopped to, to count how many shows, not, not shows themselves, but like how many nights of shows you've done? In the theater? Oh, God, no. But I mean, I've spent, you know, a, a lot of time on the stage. Yeah. I mean, like, like you, you, I'm sure you know, like, the, the run of the producers was X amount of 100 plus for sure, right? Well, I did it. I did it for a year on Broadway. And then we went back to it for a few months, uh, a, a couple of years later, uh, Matthew Broderick. Yeah. Um, and then, I wound up doing it in London by accident. I, I was not supposed to do it, but then uh, Richard Dreyfus was do, going to do it, and then Amazing. things didn't work out, and so I ran over at the last minute and uh, the week before they started previews, and then we made the uh, the movie. Um, what is the weirdest thing you have ever witnessed in the theater? I mean, people say, "Well, a guy turned had a heart attack in aisle three. Like, what? What? You must have. You've lived on the stage. Uh, the weirdest thing. Um, well, um, yes, there are. There, are, the, the, that's. Um, I, I won't say it's commonplace, but it. it <laughs> but there's nothing worse than bad theater. But yeah. um, but we. Uh, I know that the, the, during the producers, they we, they had to bring the curtain down. A, a man was having. A, he had a heart attack. He was in the and he was in the balcony. His family had brought him. This is just tragic. His family had brought him there for his birthday, and they got him into the lobby. He died in the lobby. Jesus, mine was not as tragic. Um, the theater I I was in was the Haymarket. Oh, Theater Royal Haymarket. It's it's really it's an amazing old theater. It was great, and um, and of course you know they have royal boxes in every theater if the if any of the royals ever came to the theater which of course they never do what did you but, do with the haymarket oh mr aaron sorkin and i went over and did a few good men together how great it was fun it was really fun i had a blast um and that's a great part kathy and it's very very it's very different than the movie actually much funnier it's a really which i never believed having seen the movie i love the movie but the people who'd played kathy were always like oh it's hilarious it brings out as a go and it does um 
but the royal box always is empty because there are no royals there. But every once in a while, someone who knows somebody who's paid something will be in it, right? And it's right on the, basically almost on the stage, on the side. And I looked over one day uh, during the performance and um, there was a couple having sex. Oh, right. So at, at intermission, the, the house manager went to them and said, you can't have sex, you can't do that. And, and apparently all of the, the, the people who are really familiar with the London theater scenes, no, no, they're notorious. They will, they don't show up at, I mean, they're, they're a notorious couple that like, that's their, their thing. And like, oh yeah, I was doing a production of Les Mis and so like, it was kind of a thing. The Fockers. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm sure there's, there must be sexual goings on, but I, I've, I've not actually witnessed You're it. too much of a pro to, to care. I, uh, I had the distinction of actually acting with Aaron Sorkin. What? Many, many, many years ago, when you were just a child, um, I was asked to do, they were doing a, uh, a one-act play festival at St. Clement's in New York, and um, this, uh, a friend of mine was directing this one-act play called uh, What's Wrong With This Picture? And it was written by this young guy named Aaron Sorkin. Oh, boy. And so uh, this guy who was supposed to do it, an actor, uh, was supposed to be in the play, and he fell out. And it was it's sort of the, the leading role in the piece. And so uh, so this, the director said to me, um, uh, he's, he'll come by. He's going to bring it over to you to read to my apartment. Um, and, and so, you know, this nice young man showed up at the door he, his name was Aaron Sorkin and he gave me this little script and, and I read it and it was, it was very funny very funny, very well written one act play and so I, I, had, I was, wasn't doing anything at the time and I said yeah sure I'll, I'll do it it's hilarious wow and then the guy who was playing I, I played the director of a movie it was, uh, and it was um, <laughs> it was their last day of shooting on this film, and he's trying to get this big, it was, it's a, supposedly this big group, uh, a battle happening on a hill, and then in the middle of this shot, and they're, you know, losing the light, it's all of that kind of thing, and, uh, and a, a herd of cows wander in to this shot, and so he's trying to get the cows out of the shot, and it's him and the screenwriter and, and a couple of other people in the play. And it, it's, a, it's just a very funny little uh, uh, one act. And then the guy who was playing the screenwriter, which was the other large role in it, um, I don't know, I forget. He got a, he got a real job and left. And Aaron took over for a few, uh, performances of whatever performances we had left. So I acted with Aaron Sorkin. That is, that's amazing. That, and who would have thought, right? And he played, so he played the screenwriter. Uh, even then, he knew what he wanted to do. Oh, believe me, he knew what he wanted to do. You have such an interest. I mean, you've worked with everybody. Jesus Christ. George C. Scott? George C. for Cuddles Scott. That's what I hear. I hear cuddly as the day is long. I made my Broadway debut with George C. Scott. Uh, that's 1982. He directed and starred in a revival, um, surprisingly, in a revival of Noel Coward's Present Laughter. And he played the uh, Noel Coward role. It was supposed to be Frank Langella who couldn't uh, do it. And then he, he had told the producers, I, you know, I played that part in Summerstock. I can do it. 
And it was a, it was a surprise success because of the, it was an unusual piece of casting. And he was in, incredibly kind to me. And, and uh, it was, um, uh, yeah, a wonderful way to make a, a, a Broadway debut. Which he, you know, he was uh, obviously, uh, for anyone who remembers him, I mean, m- mainly he's remembered for having played General Patton and winning an Oscar and then refusing it. But he was uh, a troubled soul. What he referred to himself as a functioning alcoholic, which was a debatable fact. But he um, he loved actors, and he was to be on stage with him. He was electric, you know. He was just brilliant, and 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 was very sort of um, paternal with me. Very, you know. So it's a very fond memory. Jeez, I would say. Um, tell me about the. Ari Aster movie. Oh, because listen, I'm a big Ari 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 Aster fan, an amazing filmmaker, and the cast is nuts. Well, it starts with Joaquin Phoenix. Well, okay, stop right there. I think he's the best actor out there. Yeah, I, I I'd agree with you. He's extraordinary, and he's um, a total mensch, a sweetheart. I loved working with him. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. And uh, Amy Ryan, the great Amy Ryan, plays yep. my wife in it. Um, and uh, who else? Patty Lapone. I love Patty Lapone so much. Oh, it's a, a a lot of wonderful people. Um, the title might change. It's been under the the working title was Disappointment Boulevard. Yes, <laughs> which is a title that I love, and uh, it, but it might become another title. Um, but I, I, I had, I've had, I had just had dinner with Ari, who's also a mensch. Also, you would, you know, you, if you ever have the opportunity, just say yes. So smart and such a, he's such a sweet guy. But, um, this is a, this is the sort of his most ambitious film. Um, cause the others were, what would you call them? Horror or horror movie? I mean, this is the director of Hereditary and, uh, Midsommar. Yeah. So those went very well. Are amazing. He refers to this as a nightmarish comedy. Um, so it, and it is. It's this sort of Kafkaesque um, uh, journey that Joaquin is on, and it's. Um, I guess this is a movie about guilt, of uh, <laughs> the story of a mother, of a son and his mother, and guilt. That's all I can tell you. Is that is the reason? That's all you can tell me. That it is a secret. Or that that's all that you were able to understand from the goddamn screenplay. <laughs> it's dense. But there's a lot of things going on. And it, some of it is very darkly funny. Like the, the section of the film that Amy and I are in mm-hmm. is, uh, is very much black comedy. But then that gets darker and darker <laughs> as it goes along. And then uh, Joaquin escapes and goes into the next section of the film. But uh, it's... Uh, I, I, it's very. Um, I'm so curious to see w- how it has all turned out. I know that Ari is is happy with it, and, and A24 has seen his cut and is very happy with it. So, um, yeah, it's it's um, it's just a very ambitious, uh, but very it is very dark, especially by the end. It doesn't have a happy ending. <laughs> no, I, I'm so shocked. It's fascinating. He's a, such a he's a wonderful writer. It was a great experience because I didn't know I, I didn't quite know what to expect. 
you know, with Joaquin, you know, I have such, I look at him in awe. Yes. We had so much fun. So he is, there's a famous clip circulating of he and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman cracking up during the making of The Master. Yeah. And I'm thinking, these guys are so cool and they're, they're sort of legend is that they're, you know, they're gnarly intense and yet they, they're sweet and funny as can be. Yeah. I know we, when we started, um, you know, there was an op- a scene that we were shooting and then, and Joaquin had a, a take on it that was very intense. <laughs> and it was the introduction of uh, my character and Amy's character. Amy is this very kind woman and, and I come in and I'm a doctor and there's black comedy. Yeah. The way it's written. But Joaquin was going in another direction. And then, uh, at a certain point, I, I said, I said to him, I love you. I'll, I'll do whatever you want, but, um, they, I don't know how to break it to you, but there's, there's some funny stuff here. And we're, um, so, uh, we, and so he was like, you know what? I'm going in the wrong direction. And, 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 and then of course, you know, if I improvised, he was, he was gone. He was like, I can't look you in the eye or I'll laugh. And, um, I just love being in scenes with him because he would, you know, he would totally surprise you. Each take would be different and he would go in another direction and you would, you know, he was, and he's just the sweetest guy in the world. So it was a blast. The weather is getting warmer. It's time to ditch the jackets and sweaters for shorts and tees. But there's no need to waste money on clothes that only last one season with Quince. Now you can get high quality pieces that never go out of style. You'll be wearing year after year. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts for $30, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering with the top factories, Quince cuts out the middleman and passes the savings directly onto you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. My producer recently made an order for Quince, and here's what he had to say. I'm really excited to revamp my closet with Quince. I cannot wait for my items to arrive from Quince. You know, I'm a sweater guy. I was looking at that burgundy cashmere crew neck. I love the blue chore jacket. Maybe I'll throw some joggers in there. So upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash Rob for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Rob to get free shipping and 360 day returns. Quince.com slash Rob. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you've been listening to Literally long enough, you'll know that I am a big believer in getting the help you need. Therapy has been a big, big, big part of my life and something I think we should be all doing as needed, just like checking the oil on your car. I've spoken about this and we all carry around different stressors, big and small. We keep them bottled in and it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to get the things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist. 
and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Rob Lowe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Rob Lowe. I love fast cars, but there aren't a ton of high-performance EVs. They're certainly out here there. But when I when I get a chance to get behind the wheel of one, it's I love it. And I was blown away by the Kia EV6 GT. When you get behind the wheel of the Kia, it, it is literally like being in a state-of-the-art rocket ship, but also comfortable. The thing goes from zero to 60 in 3.4 seconds. It is the premium driving experience. And of course, it's an EV. So the climate thanks you. SiriusXM provides access to over 165 channels in the vehicle. Music, sports, news, comedy, yacht rock. Let's go. Little little steely Dan going in your Kia. Come on now. So check it out today. It is the all-electric Kia EV6 GT. I had a blast checking it out. Believe me, you should do it yourself via kia.com slash EV6. To learn more, that is kia.com slash EV6. Kia, movement that inspires. Um, so I want to close with getting your state of the union on Broadway. Tell me what you have to have thoughts. You must have thoughts on like, you know, where it is in relationship, where you start. Cause I like, I certainly do in the movie business. My, my Broadway, de- I've done one thing. I did my Broadway debut and that was it. It was with the great Tony Randall, Tony Randall's national actors theater. Do you remember the Actors Theater? The National Actors Theater. He was always trying to get me to do something. Oh, I bet he must have, right? Yes. Um, what did you do with him? Oh, I did a, fr- I did a French fast myself. Nothing like yours, of course. This is my Tony Randall. But it was called, uh, oh, A Little Hotel on the Side. Hotel on the Side. Yes. You did the, oh, well, you have to come back to the theater. I want to. You would do, let's do a play together. I will, I would love, and I really, I'm actually really, really, want to and I'm, we were going to do it with a few good men but i like it's not going to go better than it did in london so i didn't do it but i would i'm desperate to do it yeah i mean like the last thing i that they came to me to do was a a remake of um war of the roses but everything's a movie now i know yeah i know right yes that's problematic although if it was well written it could be funny but yeah um, I know everything is uh, a musical of a movie or a successful movie. Um, I don't, uh, to be honest, um, I've just been watching from afar. You know, I haven't been working. It's, it's been now, the last thing I did uh, was in 2019. So it, it's been a while. But I mean, it's, there, it's been, certainly things are getting better right now in terms of, I'm just talking about business. Yes. Not the artistic side. <laughs> from an uh, from the business side, you know, people are showing up and and uh, uh, and certain things are selling well. Um, it, you know, uh, it, I don't know how it right now. I, I would say it's probably not a great time for serious plays, uh, but um, I mean that's always that's been the case for a while. And you know, it's it's become you know Times Square has been dis- Disneyfied and right. It's like a, a, a theme park now. 
and it's wildly expensive. You know, I mean, people are showing up to see Hugh Jackman and the Music Man, but you know, it's like six hundred dollars, right? It's like the opera. We've lost a certain audience. It's not for everybody uh, anymore. The way it used to be that that's what the theater used to be was for everyone. My first trip to New York as a kid that I remember, I saw the original production of The Wiz and the and a chorus line in the same two nights. That that you don't get that now. I don't think. Occasionally, there's you know something comes along, a Hamilton or uh, what have you, or, or, or an interesting new play or musical. It's look, it's 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 expensive to produce. It's you know, it's a whole. We've painted ourselves into a uh, a horrible financial corner where it's wildly expensive. You know, and it used to be uh, even off Broadway is expensive now. It used to be there, the, the more daring things were being done. I mean, as one of the stars of The Lion King, did you go to see the theater, the the, the uh, Julie Taymor version? Yeah. No, she. Uh, it was sort of like, how will they solve this? And then I thought she did. She found a really theatrical way of, of telling that story. And, and it was beautiful. And, and um, yeah. Um, I mean, it was a little weird to see um, the... <laughs> You know, the the meerkat and the warthog are, you know, some a poor actor has, is, you know, painted green and standing behind a puppet. That's not yeah. a job you want. Speaking like, you know, myself and Ernie Sabella doing our old ad libs. <laughs> you know, it worked. It's uh, obviously. Um, so that was that was a case where they they found a, 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 a real artist to take something and and really turn it into an, an, an original do you remember the the first time you heard elton's theme for lion king any of the music we used to when when it was gonna come when it was uh, gonna premiere we did a couple of press things with jeffrey katzenberg mm-hmm. jeffrey katz they would show a couple of clips from the movie and then uh jeffrey katzenberg came out with some real lions and <laughs> As he does. And, you know, as he's wont to do. And then Ernie Sabella and I would come out and, and kibitz with the crowd and do uh, sing Hakuna Matata. Amazing. That was the first time I saw, they showed the Wildebeest Stampede, which was uh, quite amazing in terms of animation. And then they showed, I, I guess they, they showed um, the Circle of Life. Oh. And, and uh, yeah, it was such a beautiful song he and Tim Rice wrote. and, and um, yeah, you sort of knew, wow, this is powerful stuff. The rest is history. I'm excited for Ari Aster. You also, wait, but there's also something else. Uh, American Crime Story, O.J. Simpson, Ameri- The People versus O.J. Simpson. I loved it. Yeah, yeah, that was really well done. I loved it. And how great, I mean, and you worked with John, my man, John Travolta. Oh, yes. yes. I, I love John so much. I, I There's no one like him. There's no one like John Travolta. Um, yeah, well, it was a great group. Sarah Paulson, Courtney Vance, who I've known for years. Um, such a wonderful actor. And How much did Ryan Murphy direct of it? He directed uh, a, a couple of them. Uh, two or, two, I want to say two or three. He's such a, you know, a character. Yep. You know, he would arrive with an entourage, you know, a little late. But then he was uh, he was brilliant because he knew exactly what he wanted, and yet he was collaborative. And if you said, "I have an idea, can we try this? Can we try that?" He was open to it. He was I I, I loved working with him. He's very entertaining. 
He's a very entertaining guy. Super fun. He he produces um and and co-created the show I'm on now. Oh, that's right. Know, 911 Lone Star. Lone Star. It's a big it hit. Congratulations. It, thank you, sir. Thank you. Always always good when you get lucky. Um that's so lovely. I would you know I what I didn't know about I wasn't aware that you had turned down Grey's Anatomy. I'm and I'm trying to make up for it now. <laughs> You've done many great <laughs> shows, Parks and Rec and West Wing. You've You've done a lot of great shows, but that was, I was like, oh, of course what that would have been. And I say this with all respect. McDreamy. McSteamy. I, let's just say I had enough of it in, during my uh, Tiger Beat years. I mean, Nathan, the horror of being in Tiger Beat is something that very few people will have to endure happily. Yeah, I'm sure there, you have, there's a club, you have meetings. We all have jackets that match like the Masters or something. You know, we all get a green jacket. Perfect. Well, any time I can put your name up for uh, inclusion. Yeah. No, I'm past my prime now for the handsome men's club. But nonsense. Oh, yeah. Look at this. I'm just looking at all these names we can talk about. F. Murray Abraham. F. F. Murray. F. Murray. Uh, Yes. So, okay. So it isn't just me. Who is it? So F. Murray is a thing, right? Because I've heard that for years. F. Murray. I don't. I don't know whether he's made that joke or I. Uh, yeah, we did um, uh, a Terrence McNally play called it called "It's Only a Play" on Broadway, and a play that he had written many, many, many years before. Uh, that was what it was called, Broadway, Broadway, starring Geraldine Page and Jimmy Coco, and it closed out of town to disastrous reviews. Ironically, because the play is about an opening night, and the play gets disastrous reviews. So um, he did a, a revision of it. And it, it was done off-Broadway successfully in the 80s, but uh, Frankie and the original Frankie and Johnny, he starred in it with Kathy Bates off-Broadway. You know, he's famous for bringing his Oscar to let the vibes come off of it. Yeah, to let he brings his Oscar. So he brought the Oscar. And uh, can I tell you something? This Oscar looked like it had been through a lot. You know, like yes. it was like a, an old hood ornament. I once saw Tatum O'Neill's Oscar. Yeah, and from Paper Moon, and it was, and I, it's this. I had the same reaction. Do they not take care of them, or is it just something that happens to all of them? You would think. Uh, why aren't you taking care of your Oscar? It was dented, and it and and like some of the the gold had worn off. But he um he brought it and he put it on the set and you know left it there. I mean, I would be. A little more um, um, protective of my if I had ever gotten lucky enough to get an Oscar. Let me ask you a question: Which do you think is more of a statement? Bringing your Oscar to lunch, or or when you have people over and you have an Oscar, it's used as a doorstop in the bathroom. Maybe using it as a doorstop or something, or you know that it's so it's so unimportant. And I remember Bill Irwin telling me that Murray bought uh, Murray brought his Oscar to a lunch with Robin Williams and Steve Martin. That takes balls. That's amazing to let the vibes roll off or whatever, whatever his the you know the mojo. So it was. So it was literally. He says this is for the mojo. Well, I guess that he thinks it'll bring us luck. It's for him. It's like a shamrock. His yes. Oscar. It's like it'll bring a rabbit's foot. 
but it's an Oscar. <laughs> he should chain it to his belt like we did in the 70s with the rabbit's foot. My good luck charm, my Oscar. Um, someone told me that Frank Langella had a way to guarantee a standing ovation every night. Have you ever heard this? Did he? I bet he did. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if he'd get one right now, but yeah. This is the Nathan Lane that people want. <laughs> this is what the people have come for. Um, so I tried it. I heard about it and I tried it and I didn't really have the balls to commit to it. So what it is, is this. And so you come out, you're, you're Franklin Jella and the audience is applauding and you do the move of like, oh, 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 yes, but you're out there. You, but right, that one. But but then they're shocked. You're shocked. You're shocked about the applause. But then you you then this it's very, very important. The physicality of it. You gesture with both arms to the audience like, oh, you, you people. This is amazing. Oh, my God. Like you're giving it up to them like, oh, and then and this is the move. Both arms are out. Now you raise your arms like this. And they stand. That's very good. Yes, that's that's a real old school manipulation. There was um, a, a wonderful old character actress, Mary Wicks, who did a, a friend of mine, John Glover, did a play with her. Oh, I did a movie with John Glover. I love John Glover. Great actor. And so they were doing, I don't know, O'Casey's The Plow of the Stars. And Mary Wicks, she would come in in the, in the middle of the play. And she had he would open the door and she... She would say, oh, it's so good to see you. And she started, and sometimes he, she she also was known for putting her hands behind her back and clapping. But that was her way of, of initiating entrance applause. One of the things I learned about London versus Broadway, they don't do entrance applause in the UK. That's right. It's like a tradition in the theater. It's like, you know, a nice round for the for the set. The curtain goes up on a nice set and they applaud. They do. Oh, I've seen them applaud a set. They, I said to people when I said, as you understand, I come from America, audiences applaud the scenery. That's right. But I do think standing ovations are like, it's like inflation. They've been so devalued in, in, in our culture. But it, like if you, if you get one in London, we did a hundred, I did a hundred plus performances. We got maybe 10. Oh. And it was a massive hit. Huge thunders rapture, but a standing ovation should that should be like an upper deck home run. Yes, I, I, I well, they did for. I have to say because well, it's also seven and a half hours. We did Angels in America at the National. We got. They said don't expect standing ovations, and I said okay, no, I won't. And then people stood, you know, because. Whoa. Well, that's because the play is so monumental. One of my great regrets is I have I have not been able to see a production of it ever. You no, know, it's as good as it gets. That's right. Mr. Lane, this has been a fabulous. You I, I, I could talk to you all day. We didn't we didn't. There's so much more to go over. So we'll have to do. Um, we'll do a part two at some point. I would love that. And please give my love to your beautiful wife. Oh, and let's uh, let's find ourselves on on the boards one day, Mr. Lane. I, I would love that. Well, if I've taken anything away from this talk is that um, I need to bring my SAG award to lunch. I also have a E Channel Golden Hanger Award for best outfit on on a red carpet from two thousand and three. 
that was given to me by the late Joan Rivers. Maybe I can bring that. If I was at lunch with Murray Abraham and he put the Oscar in front of me, I'd be like, yo, golden hanger. That's that's my takeaway from this <laughs> interview with Nathan Lane. All right. You know what time it is. It's time to check the lowdown line. Hello. You've reached literally in our lowdown line where you can get the lowdown on all things about me, Rob Lowe. 323-570-4551. So have at it. Here's the beep. Hi, Rob. This is Christy from Spokane, Washington. Big fan. Parks and Rec is my favorite show. I read both of your books during the pandemic, and I just love your stories, your humor, and just how self-deprecating you are. Um, Really enjoy the podcast and you as a person. So my question is, are we ever going to see you do a comedy stand-up tour? I feel like you did at one point. I could be mistaken, but I would love to see you on the road at a city near me um, to maybe share more of your stories that sometimes seem so crazy to be true, that they are. And yeah, so that's my question. Keep up the good work, and I love everything you do. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I love everything about you. And I don't even know you. Um, That's very nice. Lots of good compliments in there. Um, And I can never have enough of those. Uh, So, yeah, you you kind of intuited what my one-man show, Stories I Only Tell My Friends Live, is. If I had the balls, I would just say it's stand-up. Because it's stories, for sure. But... I think people come away from it going, that was funny. It's like a lot of laughs in, in with COVID um, that put a halt to it. But I was doing, I, there was a, there was about two years there where I was probably doing two shows, two or three shows a month in, in while I was also shooting my TV projects. And that's starting to come back as all things are, but I'm, I'm so busy. I'm doing 911 Lone Star the two podcasts and my new Netflix show. So that's how in between the travel that, that, that part has taken the back seat. but I'm going to revive it when I can for sure. And hopefully I will bring it to um, a town near you. Cause I love it. I love being on stage and being with people and, and just relating. And it's exactly what you think it's going to be. So uh, I'm excited for you to come and hopefully I'll see you soon. Goodbye, everybody. I will. See- <laughs> I'll see you next week on literally with me, Rob Lowe. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Literally with Rob Lowe, produced by me, Rob Schulte, with help from associate producer Sarah Begar. Our coordinating producer is Lisa Berm. Our research is done by Alyssa Grawl. The podcast is executive produced by Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Adam Sachs, Jeff Ross, and Joanna Solitaroff at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. All of the music you hear is by Devin Bryant. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Literally with Rob Lowe. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. 
Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are.